It's the end of the month, which means it's time for a media spotlight. Welcome, welcome to our first end of the month media spotlight, where we step away momentarily from the usual pedagogy to discuss a resource, which I highly recommend or highly don't recommend for every wife. My reason for doing this is primarily because it is not my intention to be a sort of sole independent source. I want my listeners to be reading the things that I'm reading, watching the things that I'm watching, tuning into the things I'm listening to that have ultimately led me to the conclusions that I share in our regular episodes. You know, I can't ask you to step into my shoes and share my life experience any more than I can step into yours. But I can absolutely invite you to dive into those resources which influence how I have chosen to respond to God's call especially in my husband's and my journey of overcoming that dark age of our marriage, of learning and establishing healthy dynamics, and pushing forward now with what I do not hesitate to describe quite simply as the marriage of my dreams. Not because it's without struggle, not because it's all sunshine and roses, not because we're naive or deluded or pushing the things that we still disagree about under the rug, not because we're living saints, But because in our marriage, in our home, we've successfully replaced a culture of bitterness with a culture of gratitude. We've appended a culture of resentment and created a culture of respect. And both of us now hold a deep and unshakable conviction that the other spouse is thoroughly committed to getting us to heaven. So this month's media spotlight is on Layla Miller's Impossible Marriages Redeemed, subtitled, They Didn't End the Story in the Middle. I personally think that every person can benefit greatly from reading this book. Of course, the most obvious candidates are couples in struggling marriages just searching for hope. These stories give so much hope to those who are currently experiencing hard times in their marriage, that the things bounced back from in this book are really terrible situations. Stories of marriages suffering from pornography, from affairs, from financial crises, from being pushed over the edge by deaths of children or other loved ones, where divorce papers were already on the table. This book is a wonderful message of hope for those struggling. Here's an excerpt from the foreword by Philip Lawler. Quote, what is a hero if not someone who makes sacrifices for another? In this book, we have the testimony of people who have sacrificed their comfort and their pride to save their marriages for the sake of their spouses and their children. Most of the people who contributed to this book don't think of themselves as heroes, I'm sure. They may still be struggling from the lingering influence of neighbors and relatives and friends and even pastors who advise them to look out for themselves to escape an unhappy situation. They may think of themselves as merely survivors. If so, I'm here to contradict them. They're heroes. At a time when marriages break down routinely, we need such heroes as witnesses and models." End quote. 
This is also a great book for couples who are in strong marriages currently. And I think especially to bring awareness to how much support is lacking for couples who currently aren't. Maybe pushing married couples with strong and healthy dynamics to mentor struggling couples. People not receiving, quote, adequate help from the church when their marriages were in crisis, end quote, is a horribly common occurrence. In one of the accounts, it says, quote, we tried to talk to our priest about it, but he didn't seem interested in helping us. End quote. This is consistent with my own experience of calling the parish where we were registered during the dark age of our marriage, which we have since left. I called and asked if they had support groups for wives whose husbands struggled with pornography and alcohol abuse. The secretary made it clear that I was at fault for asking such an embarrassing thing, that she was embarrassed that I was asking, and that the parish had no in parish help at all for people in such situations. She didn't even offer to put me in touch with the pastor and that she had zero recommendations for groups outside of the parish. I, I was left feeling so helpless and just dismissed. At the time, I assumed that it was because too few people come forward with their struggles. Given the divorce rate among Christians and Catholics not being significantly lower, I did not buy into the implication that our parish was somehow exceptionally and miraculously lower in the number of struggling marriages, and that my husband and I were just a horribly odd couple out. What I realize now, especially after reading this book, is that lots of people in struggling marriages are reaching out to the church and are straight up not getting help. The need for support from other solid Catholic couples who will not gossip or judge, but who will also be thoroughly unabashed by the reality of sin is huge. Ladies, especially if you have the capacity to make this commitment to other women, to always assume the best of their husband no matter what they say, to stand for their marriage no matter how they might react, and to believe firmly that every marriage can be redeemed, no matter what the circumstances, please consider making an active effort to offer yourself as a safe space for struggling women to come to, to be able to say whatever they want, and then to be reminded of their vows, not to be joined or humored in the way of husband bashing, but received with patience, coupled with firmness, a firmness that proclaims that respect for our spouse is paramount, regardless of the situation. Priests should also read this book in order, I think, to be able to address several things. The first being that the help coming from the church is seriously lacking. Perhaps it would inspire reflection for the wayward priests who are actively going against church teaching when they turn a blind eye to struggling marriages, are downplaying the evil of divorce, or are even helping parishioners move towards divorce. But even for the most orthodox pastors, are they aware that there are parishioners reaching out, possibly not directly to them, and are potentially being met with hostility and disdain from their parish staff? That is an attitude that absolutely needs to be addressed. 
The second reason that I feel priests would do well to read this book is to better combat this general disregard for the power of the sacraments. I think struggling couples forget that the sacraments are needed, that they are incredibly powerful, and that sometimes, even oftentimes, the grace from the sacraments may be enough such that therapy or counseling is not needed. And to that point, I'll be talking more about therapy slash counseling in just a few minutes. The third reason that priests should read this book is because I believe that they need to be much more careful with the support groups that they recommend to struggling couples and more aware of the existence of far too many support groups out there who are self-identifying as Catholic and yet are not really Catholic at all in practice. And I'll be talking more about this also in just a minute. And fourth, I think the takeaway is written by contributor number 23 in this book, Impossible Marriages Redeemed, are essential for priests to understand and embrace in their exercise of their priestly ministry. The takeaways read, one, quote, just because a marriage can be declared null does not mean it should or must be, or that it will make life better. There is a more excellent and better way. Fix yourselves, love better, and validate the marriage. There is no need to break the family. End quote. Takeaway number two, quote, The day I accepted that my husband might not ever change was the day things changed for the better. The day I took the burden off of my husband and my child to make me happy was the day I found peace. Once I realized that God alone is the source of my happiness, I was free to love even difficult people, end quote. And takeaway number three, quote, accepting everything from God as gift, even the losses, hurts, and disappointments, is a source of great joy. And it was in this understanding that I finally lost my desire to divorce. Because Jesus suffered so much for love of us, accepting my share of sufferings is a great gift I can give back to God. Offered suffering is redemptive and has real meaning. End quote. You know, that first takeaway especially is one where I feel that there is a huge temptation for priests to either ignore or reject, and that temptation appeals purely to their fallen human nature and aversion to suffering, which then negatively affects takeaways two and three. Authentic Catholics are not escapists. There is a reasonable alleviation of suffering, such as having your leg in a cast and using crutches when you break your leg. But even in situations of physical abuse, when the church supports the physical separation of spouses for safety's sake, it is not without hope or intention of working towards reconciliation. Reconciliation may not ever be possible in a domestic abuse situation, but it is part and parcel of upholding the marriage vow to keep hoping and keep trying. There are many things still to be done to heal lines of communication and relationship without moving back in with each other when physical danger is still very obviously present. I love this stark realization from contributor number four, quote, every path I envisioned apart from my wife 
was a path to hell, even if it would mean some temporary relief here on earth, end quote. Priests should not be afraid to proclaim this, that our faithfulness to our spouse is the married person's path to heaven for the sake of the salvation of souls, which is why they became a priest in the first place, or it ought to have been. And finally, in general, I think anyone reading this can help combat the plague on our society of well-meaning persons by working themselves on being well-catechized persons. From Dr. Christine Bacon, who is contributor number 48, is this excellent observation, quote, our society is filled to the brim with well-meaning friends who are in part responsible for the breakdown of their friends and family members' marriages, end quote. You know, on the one hand, sure, you want to give people the benefit of the doubt that they aren't deliberately trying to hurt anyone. But on the other hand, if their influence is causing people to move towards divorce and they know that the church teaches that divorce is wrong, but they disregard that teaching, then their souls are in objective danger. Two weeks ago, we talked about how we can be an accessory to another's sin, how we can share the guilt of another's sin. Divorce is a mortal sin, which means that someone who has, again, going back to that list of nine ways we talked about three weeks ago, um, has counseled or advised someone to seek divorce, has been asked point blank if divorce is okay and said yes, has encouraged or participated in talking badly about one of the spouses and given someone reason to believe that they would support or approve of a separation, has praised someone for being brave in considering divorce. These are serious, serious transgressions. No amount of well-meaning cancels out the sin of advocating for another to commit mortal sin. We need well-catechized people to stand up and correct well-meaning people who claim to be representing the church and yet are advocating for what is contrary to God's laws for the salvation of souls. So I said that I would be talking about therapy, counseling, and Catholic support groups. In a nutshell, it's quite simple. If the therapist, counselor, or members of the support group do not uphold and maintain those attitudes and behaviors which are essential to a healthy marriage, then they are not authentically Catholic. They are not worth your money. They are not worth your time. And they will only damage a marriage further. There is no situation where it's okay to break down a marriage by purposefully engaging in unhealthy attitudes and behaviors first and suggesting that doing so will help with healing later on in the process. No good end can come from permitting or encouraging sin, even venial sin. Many sincere Catholic couples are fruitlessly suffering at the hands of these supposedly Catholic therapists, counselors, and support groups. My husband and I learned this the hard way. 
we had good experiences and we had bad experiences and we've reached a place where we can discuss the differences in those experiences with clear heads and clear sightedness. So he tried individual therapy for over a year and my husband comments that while it was quote highly insightful uh, it was difficult for him to transpose those insights into our marriage. He says one might say it was impractical. We tried couples therapy for over a year and we both agree now that that was horrendous. I was paying to be a part of a woman's support group, which did nothing but make me hate my life and my husband more. And my husband comments now that it also so disdain within him towards me. And finally, we did a six-week couples coaching program, which my husband describes as transformative. All of these helplines, which I just mentioned, were advertised as Catholic. In fact, the therapy which we tried both as a couple and my husband by himself is still advertised as the best Catholic therapy available in our area, with direct ties to our archdiocese and endorsement from them, and it's very, very expensive. The six-week coaching program that we went through, which again, we both agree was absolutely transformative and put us on the right track to heal and strengthen our marriage, was completely free. That coaching program has a 99% success rate and has helped over 4,000 couples. So what do I mean by attitudes and behaviors which are essential to a healthy marriage? Well, let's go through just the things that we've talked about in the past month on this podcast. Number one, that there can be no apathy or indifference towards our spouse's salvation. Warning signs are if you're being told that your current difficulties in marriage free you from having to care about what your spouse is doing with their life. Good signs are if you're being told directly that getting your spouse to heaven is what your vocation of marriage consists of and that you are never excused from attending to it. Number two, that holiness in marriage consists of cleaving to our spouse above all others because we have vowed to love and to honor and serve our spouse above all others. Warning signs are if you're being told that you can take a break from working on your relationship with your spouse and focus entirely on fostering your healthy relationships with others. Yes, it is essential that we have healthy relationships with friends and family outside of marriage, but to be told that we are free to neglect our spouse in order to make more time to cultivate those other relationships instead is a lie. Good signs are if you're being told to cultivate relationships which support your efforts to heal your marriage. Relationships with people who have healthy marriages and can set good examples for you, especially people who have been through tough times like your own and have persevered in standing for their marriage. Number three, that how we help our spouse towards heaven must respect their free will, must respect their freedom to make choices for good or for ill. Warning signs are, 
if you are being coached to come up with phrases or templates of conversation or action plans which shame your spouse and emphasize how guilty they should be feeling due to those faults which you have identified in them. If you are being encouraged to criticize your spouse with angry words or a disrespectful manner, or if you are being enabled or even directly told to focus heavily on how your spouse's behavior needs to change in order for your marriage to work out. Good signs are if you're being told to examine your own behavior. If you're being told to consider how you can improve your own behavior and coming up with action items to make real lasting changes in your behavior and also being coached in how to communicate your, uh, to your spouse when something they say or do hurts you, but without the objective being to shame them or make them feel more guilty. Rather that in sharing your hurt, you are opening yourself up more to them by being authentically vulnerable and showing your trust in them and their love for you. Not using that sharing as an opportunity to be disrespectful or unkind. Number four, going off of number three, that we fully accept and operate consistently off of the plain truth that the only person you can control is yourself. Warning signs are, quite simply, if the message you're getting is that your spouse is the entire problem and that you are completely removed from it, that you have no responsibility whatsoever in contributing to an unhealthy dynamic between you and your spouse. Good signs are if the fact that you can always be doing something to improve yourself is being emphasized. You're being helped to identify where you are failing to love unconditionally and you are being held accountable for reaching ever-evolving goals towards that unconditional love which you are called to bear your spouse. Number five, that sins are recognized as sins. Warning signs are if you are being given a free reign to wallow in your sin, if you are being enabled to dwell on your anger, on your bitterness, on your resentment, on your hatred, on contempt or disdain, on your low opinion of your spouse. Good signs are if you are being helped to reach for God's grace, to avoid falling into any of those sins. If you're being helped towards a deeper self-awareness and accountability for avoiding near occasions of sin. Number six, that those roles ordained by God for husband versus wife are consistently and constantly furthered. Warning signs are if either spouse is being told that maybe they just don't have the capacity to fulfill their God-given role. That maybe they're just not, quote, built that way. And that perhaps for their marriage to work out, rather than seeking to embrace God's plan for marriage and believe that he gives the grace to fulfill that plan, that they actually need to let the other spouse step in and take over their God-given tasks because it's so evident that the other spouse is just better formed to fulfill those tasks. 
And also if either spouse is being encouraged to disregard or disrespect the God-given role of the other spouse. Good signs are if husbands are being helped more fully to embrace their God-given role as pastor, provider, and protector of their families. And if wives are being helped more fully to embrace their God-given role as man's helpmate, as life giver, and as life nurturer, the keeper and cultivator of culture in her husband's home. And finally, number seven, which probably should have been number one, that the marriage vow is indissoluble. Any counselor, therapist, or support group, which even in a tiny way suggests that divorce is acceptable, is going against the church. A civil divorce may be needed in order to legally, physically separate spouses in a domestic abuse situation. But even when the church permits this physical separation, it does not nullify the marriage vow or release either spouse from their vocation to love and cherish and serve their spouse into heaven's glory. If there is no physical danger to spouse or children, any mention of the possibility of divorce as an answer is completely unacceptable for any marriage helpline which claims to be Catholic. Two final uh, thoughts here. This podcast is the will to wife (laughs) because the will to mother is generally not lacking anywhere near as much among Catholic wives, even only nominally Catholic wives, and even in secular culture. One post that I cannot believe that I am seeing even Catholic women sharing on social media is this post which reminds men that they are thoroughly unneeded because women will step up and do everything in their absence. Exhorting men to remember that they're a replaceable luxury to a woman's life and that they should be grateful if they're permitted by a woman to stay in a relationship with them. In short, that men should make themselves useful and be terrified of putting a toe out of line. I mean, that's just disgusting. The overwhelming majority of women have a significantly and debilitatingly higher sense of commitment to their kids than to their husband. And it is a mentality and a worldview that is sadly not uncommon among Catholic wives. And one last quote from the book, again, this is Impossible Marriages Redeemed by Layla Miller. This is contributor number 49, Doug Mainwaring. Quote, if it weren't for the presence of dark times, I don't think godly, unconditional love and dignity would have ever had a chance to take root and grow between my wife and me. Personal experience has taught me that the church truly is a field hospital within our home. That makes sense, because the domestic church is right up on the front lines, where battles can be treacherous, and where wounds, both old and newly inflicted, can often present themselves. If willing, spouses can serve as medics. The very best medics. 
End quote. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Thank you.